When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, the Yuuzhan Vong invasion continues, and it's time for the rest of the galaxy to start taking it seriously. The New Republic turned back the Praetor at Vong, but that was just the opening salvo. Or was it? We'll find out today in Dark Tide 1, Onslaught, by Michael A. Stackpole. The first book in the Dark Tide duology. And talking about the book with me today is Jay, one of the hosts of the Animated Antics podcast. Thank you for coming in to the show today, Jay, and thank you for joining our little group talking about the new Jedi Order series this year. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, As you said, I'm part of the Animated Antics podcast. Uh, You had my partner on last week, and I'm super happy to talk Star Wars with you. Well, before we start the show today, Jay, tell the listeners your Star Wars story. Uh, I've been a Star Wars fan for a very, very long time. I loved the movies growing up as a kid and then, uh, you know, got into the books after I fell out of love with Star Trek. And then I was uh, blessed with the prequel movies and I was a hardcore Star Wars fan um, from then on. And what about your history with the Star Wars Legends stories? This is not the first time you've read this series of books, is it? No, it's not. I've uh, I've read it a couple of times. It's been years since I've read it. And uh, the Expanded Universe, I read pretty much every book um, at the time before the Disney acquisition. I just couldn't get enough of it. They were some of my favorite books, and I went back to them constantly until I gave my collection away to another Star Wars fan whose kids were getting into them. That's really cool. Thank you again for joining me on today's show to talk about the book. And we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But first, it's listener question time. Today's first question comes from Eric Kirkby. Eric says, I love your podcast and connect very closely to the way you feel about the galaxy, the Sith, and the Jedi. My question in today's world on Earth, can you connect Dark Side, Sith, Separatist, Empire, and Light Side, Jedi, and Republic to the world climate? And knowing the good and bad from both sides, which side do you personally feel you would fit in more? I feel that the Sith, Separatist, Empire have a better grasp on the reality of how things get done. Personally, I fall more into the Gray Jedi area, but if I had to pick one of the two, I'd have to go with the Sith. Well, thank you very much for the very loaded question, Eric. I don't really know how to answer it and not sound incredibly cynical. If you search online, 
you can hear George Lucas talk about the differences between the light side of the Force and the dark side. According to George, the light side is selfless, while the dark side is selfish. So, Eric, if you're saying the Sith Separatist Empire faction know how to get things done because they are selfish, I guess I can't disagree. What I would disagree with is in saying that there are good and bad aspects to both sides. What is the good aspect of the Sith or of the Empire? Sure, the Empire may keep the trains running on time, but how do they do that? And is maintaining galactic peace and order at the expense of others really a good thing? These questions are part of the themes of the original trilogy and the prequels. What are your thoughts on this subject, Jay? I agree that this is a very loaded question, and in today's climate, um, I definitely think we can see the capitalist Sith Separatist Empire um, very prominent, and I don't think we quite see the light side in these dark times right now. Uh, Not saying it's not out there, just not as prevalent as it probably should be. I agree, and uh, I agree with that part of Eric's statement, too, that uh, the dark side faction... I guess they know how the real world works. People, businesses, governments, etc. Normally, they act in their own self-interest. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think that's for everyone to decide for themselves. Now, today's second email comes from listener Wes. This is a little more lighthearted email. Wes says, If you were to travel the stars, what kind of ship would you want? Would you pilot a snub fighter with a single seat or a cargo ship with a crew? If you had a crew, who would that be? What would make your ship unique? Jay, I'll let you take this one first. What kind of starship would you like for traveling the galaxy? Uh, I definitely wouldn't like a starfighter or a snub fighter um, because I feel like that would just be way too cramped and nowhere to get comfortable to have a nap. So yeah, you can't really probably, stand up and stretch every once in a while. Yeah, that that would be a very long journey. So I'd probably be leaning more towards uh, something around the size of the Razor Crest, maybe slightly bigger, maybe a very small crew, like three to four people, if that. Um, just because, you know, being alone can be kind of exhausting and can play tricks on the mind. Um, so, yeah, just it would be a very, very small crew. I think I'm in the same boat as you. Uh, I'd choose a small cargo ship about the size of the Ghost from Rebels. Room for four or five people. Uh, Feels a little bit bigger than the Razor Crest from the Mandalorian or the Marauder from the Bad Batch, but not as big as the Millennium Falcon. No crew for me. I'm a bit of a loner. I would like to occasionally travel with my niece and nephew, but I would like an astromech droid to help with navigation and maybe a pit droid or two to perform any routine maintenance. Thank you again for the email, Wes. Now, listener, if you have a question or comment for the show, like Eric or Wes, you can send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And if you'd like to get your voice on the show, feel free to record yourself and email it in. Just please help me out and record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. All right, Jay, it's time for today's book, Dark Tide 1, Onslaught, by Michael A. Stackpole. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's plot a course into hyperspace and jump in. 
Grab yourself a drink. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins two months after the Praetorate Vong was defeated at Helska IV. Leia Organisolo addresses the New Republic Senate, requesting aid for the Outer Rim. But she's met with bitterness from Chief of State Borsk Felia and many other senators. They accuse Leia of using the events of Helska IV to deflect from the actions of the Jedi throughout the galaxy, including their role at the Ramamul Osirian conflict. Most of the senators refuse to believe Leia's claims that beings from outside of the galaxy could be responsible for the catastrophe at Cern Padal and Belkadin. Leia is stunned at the animosity she feels in the room, when Kamasi Senator Alagos Akla comes to her defense. Alagos says the Senate should be ashamed of its behavior. He offers to accompany Leia to the Outer Rim to perform an official investigation and report his findings back to the Senate. On Yavin 4... Master Luke Skywalker gathers the Jedi in the Grand Audience Chamber of the Academy. Luke decides to take a more direct hand in coordinating the Order's actions. He assigns teams of Jedi to help the Dubrillion refugees as they organize a caravan of ships moving corward. Luke assigns his nephew Anakin to accompany his wife Mara Jade to Dantooine. Mara's health continues to deteriorate. She's exhausted from fighting her illness and from the vents on Belkadan. Anakin believes he's being punished for killing Chewie and that no one trusts him because of it. Luke tells his nephew that isn't the case. He's entrusting Anakin to care for his wife, the person Luke holds most dear. After Anakin leaves, his brother Jason asks Luke not to assign him anything. Jason remains conflicted over the Force and his role as a Jedi. Luke sympathizes with his nephew, but he needs all hands on deck. Luke says Jason will go with him to Belkadan to learn why the Vong changed the ecosystem of the planet. Lastly, Luke tells Corrin Horn about a group of students from the University of Agamar that have gone missing on the Outer Rim planet Bimiel. Luke pairs Corrin with Ganner Rysode, a young, headstrong Jedi, to find the students. Luke hopes Corrin can be an example for Ganner to humble the brash Jedi. But he also wants to know if the rumors about what the students reportedly found are true, that the Yuzhan Vong have been here for decades. Leia and her daughter Janna travel to Agamar seeking help against the Vong invasion. Leia asks for military support and has Danny Kui speak to the Agamarian Assembly about her experience in Vong custody. Danny tells the Assembly how the Vong tortured Rico Meglia, breaking the Jedi mentally. Several members of the Assembly voice their support for Leia, but they won't send their forces away from the planet. Agamar lies directly in the path of the Vong advancing towards the core. The Assembly does offer Leia a pledge of humanitarian aid, agreeing to take in the refugees from Debrillion. Corrin and Ganner arrive on Bimiel and begin searching for the university survey team. The team's camp is abandoned, but they find the students living in some caves a few kilometers away. Corrin and Ganner expect the students to be grateful that the Jedi have arrived to rescue them. They're shocked when the professor leading the team tells them to leave. We won't let you take our findings, she says. Confused, 
Corrin asks what the professor is talking about. She says there are reports of Jedi traveling the galaxy and taking artifacts from scholars and collectors. Corrin and Ganner say they haven't heard about that. They were sent because the University of Agamar lost contact with the survey team. Reluctantly, the professor allows the Jedi to enter the cave and shows them what the team has discovered, the mummified corpse of a Yuzhan Vong warrior. When the Jedi ask how old the corpse is, one of the students says it's at least 50. Impossible, says Ganner. It's true, the professor says. The Yuzhan Vong have been scouting the galaxy since the early days of the Empire. On Belkadin, Luke finds nothing like the ecological disaster he and Mar discovered two months ago. Everything is normal, except for a strange plant that seems to have taken over. The Yushan Vong are there too. They find slaves with odd calcifications all over their bodies that the Vong are using to help grow coral skippers and villips. The strange Yushan Vong communication devices. Jason wants to help the slaves, but Luke stops him, saying their mission is to gather information for the New Republic. But Jason can't get the feelings of slaves suffering out of his mind, and has a vision of freeing them. That night, Jason sneaks into the Vong outpost and tries to get the slaves to flee. They scream and alert the Vong overseer. Jason and the Vong fight, but the young Jedi is no match for the warrior. The Vong breaks Jason's ribs and holds his head below water until the teenager passes out. New Republic Admiral Traced Crefray summons Colonel Gavin Darklater to his office. The Bothan Admiral tells the Rogue Squadron leader that he's discovered something while hunting pirates. A captain who says his convoy was attacked by strange ships that looked like asteroids near the planet Garki. Ships that could create gravitational anomalies to protect themselves. The Vong are still here, Crefe says. The Admiral orders Rogue Squadron to come up with tactics to defeat the anomalies, and they do, employing quick, low-powered lasers to exhaust the Vong's Dovin basals before switching to full power and blowing the Coral Skippers apart. The tactics work, giving the Rogues a victory over a squadron of skips near Garki, but the Rogues suffer heavy casualties. Following the battle, Admiral Crefay orders the rogues to follow his cruiser, the Rolroost, to Debrillion to protect the refugee convoy as it plans to head off toward Agamar. On Dantooine, Mara and Anakin have been taking it easy. Mara watches Anakin use the Force to accomplish everything, even the most menial tasks. Mara challenges Anakin to see what he can do without the Force, to test his body and his mind. While searching for firewood, Anakin discovers a group of locals who idolize shiny scraps and trinkets they have found in the wreckage of Imperial vehicles on the planet. Anakin negotiates with the locals, trading a special button for supplies. Later at the camp, Anakin is awakened by a scream and goes to investigate. He finds that two Yuzavong warriors have captured the village and are torturing the leader, demanding to know where he got that button. Anakin uses the force to lift a large boulder and crushes one of the Vong. He then ignites his violet lightsaber and leaps at the other warrior. He stabs the Vong in the armpit, causing the living armor the warrior is wearing to spasm, crushing the warrior inside. Leia, Jaina, Danny, and Elagos arrive on Dubrillion 
at the same time as the Ralroost to lead the refugee convoy to Agamar. Our heroes spot a Yuzhan Vong command ship lurking in the asteroid belt near the planet. Landau Calrissian says the ship has been there for days, not doing anything, just watching. To fill one of the slots of the rogue pilots that was killed at Garki, Gavin recruits Jaina, offering her the position Rogue Eleven. Jaina is thrilled to join the rogues, to fly with the most famous fighter squadron in the New Republic, and to get out of the shadow cast by her parents. Gavin says the Vong cruiser will likely attack when the convoy lifts off and briefs the rogues that their job is to protect the refugees as they make the jump to hyperspace. Sure enough, the Yuzhan Vong attack as the caravan launches. The rogues and the Debrillian defense forces do their best to protect the transports, but they're no match for the Vong. The hyperspace route to Agamar is cut off, leaving only one exit route out of the system, to Dantooine. Jason wakes up to find himself in a torture device called the Embrace of Pain. A small creature slices his cheek open and inserts a small piece of coral under his flesh. Jason panics, imagining himself sprouting the same strange calcifications as the slaves in the Villop Garden. Jason doesn't understand what happened. In his vision, he freed the slaves. How could everything go so wrong? He nearly passes out from the embrace of pain when Luke appears. The Jedi Master calls Jason's lightsaber to him, igniting it alongside his own. Jason watches in awe as his uncle walks through the camp, dispatching any Yu San Vong warrior that gets in his way. Luke frees Jason from the embrace of pain and cuts the piece of coral out of his cheek. When they exit the Yuzik Vong camp, Jason notices that all the slaves have disappeared. He asks Luke what happened to them. Luke says he doesn't know, and they don't have time to find out because the Force has sent Luke a vision, telling him that they must quickly get to Dantooine. The refugee ships from Dubrillion soon arrive at Dantooine. Leia and Elagos quickly organize a camp and work with Admiral Crefay to deploy troops for protection. But they all know any defense they establish will be crushed unless they can get help. Admiral Crefay leaves Gavin and the rogues to help protect the refugees while he takes the raw roost to Coruscant to beg for reinforcements. Elsewhere on the planet, Anakin and Mara have been running from the Vong for days. It has left them battered and exhausted. As Mara climbs a hill to find cover, Anakin confronts the three warriors following them. He challenges the lead warrior to single combat, but quickly finds he's outmatched. The warrior knocks Anakin to the ground and lifts his amphistaff to strike the killing blow. Suddenly, there's a snap hiss and a green blade appears to block the amphistaff. It's Luke. He and Jason have arrived just in time. They kill the Vong, saving Anakin and Mara. After the fight, Luke says they must find Leia and the refugees. The Yuzhan Vong troops are closing in. The Battle of Dantooine has begun. On Bimiel, Corrin and Ganner learn that two of the students have gone missing. Their professor says that they left the cave to fix a communications antenna, but never returned. Corrin says he and Ganner will search for the missing students, while the survey team packs up to go. Corrin and Ganner find footprints in the sand near the antenna and follow them back to the Yuzhan Vong camp. 
There they find the students hanging from the embrace of pain. Before they can free the students, they're confronted with a pair of warriors. Corrin orders Ganner to free the hostages while he holds off the Vong. Ganner flees with the students as Corrin battles the Vong warriors. He kills one, but the other proves to be his equal. The Vong slashes Corrin, the venom of his amphistaff searing across the Jedi's back. But Corrin sweeps his blade low, nearly severing the warrior's leg at the hip. Corrin falls, feeling the poison course through him. With a last-ditch effort, Corrin uses the Force to summon a swarm of slash rats. The predators erupt from the ground and fall on the injured Fong warrior, devouring him. The last thing Corrin feels is the sensation of rising off the ground. Then the world goes black. On Dantooine, Leia, Mara, and Lando try to keep the refugees organized. Leia and Mara pass a tent and feel... nothing. A void in the Force. Inside, they find three Yuzhan Vong disguised as a family. Leia, Mara, and Leia's Nogri bodyguard, Bofor, take out the Vong, but Bofor is killed in the fight. Leia runs to the center of the camp, and with the help of Lando and Danny, uncovers another group of disguised Yuzhan Vong. Meanwhile, Luke, Jason, and Anakin fight alongside the meager camp defenders, trying to keep the Vong slave troops from overrunning the camp. They see a Vong troop carrier produce another gravitational anomaly, and that gives Luke an idea. He uses the Force to push the tiny black hole back on the vehicle. Instantly, the troop carrier vanishes, crushed by the Dovan Basal. The destruction of the carrier causes the attacking slaves to go berserk. A Yamask Warmaster must have been in the carrier, coordinating the battle. Quickly, the Republic troops fall back to the refugee camp, but they find it nearly destroyed. Hundreds are dead. Just then, the Rawroost arrives with another Republic cruiser. They protect the remaining refugee ships as they launch and head to Agamar. One month later, Leia travels to Coruscant with Elagos, Gavin, and Amel Crefe. They meet with the New Republic ruling council, accusing the senators of ignoring the facts of the Vong invasion and discounting the lives that have been lost so far. Gavin and Admiral Crefe accuse Chief Felia of deceiving the New Republic military to avoid embarrassment. Crefe and Gavin threaten to resign and take the fleet to the Unknown Regions unless Felia cedes operational control to the military leaders. They also demand that Elagos be allowed to give his report to the entire Senate and that aid for the refugees be sent to Agamar immediately. Corrin awakes in a Bacta tank and learns that Ganner had disobeyed orders and returned to save him from the Slash Rats. Luke wants to investigate the claims of Jedi stealing artifacts and asks Corrin's wife Mirax to look into it on the commodities market. The three start speculating about the embrace of pain, the way the Yuzhan Vong scar themselves and their tattoos. Maybe they're markings of rank, says Corrin. The story ends back on Bimiel. Commander Shado Shea arrives to investigate the deaths of the two warriors. Both were from his family and were sent to Bimiel to search for Shado Shea's grandfather, a Yuzhan Vong sent to scout the Outer Rim 50 years ago. Shado Shea is insulted that his family was left to be eaten by vermin. He 
He also learns that people of this galaxy use their mechanical abominations to study his grandfather's remains. Shado Shea vows to find the Jedi that did this and pledges to taste his blood when Shado Shea kills him. Time for a break. When we return, Jay and I will talk more about Dark Tide 1, Onslaught, the second book in the New Jedi Order series. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But let me take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Aftermath, Life Debt, continues the story of Nora Wexley's group chasing Imperial Admiral Ray Sloan, while Han Solo vows to liberate Chewbacca's home world. Han enlists Nora, her son Snap, Jom, Jap, and Sinjir for help. Can our heroes fight off the Empire and free Kashyyyk? Find out in Aftermath, Life Debt, by Chuck Wendig, the second book in the Aftermath trilogy. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today, Jay and I are continuing our trip through the New Jedi Order series with Dark Tide 1, Onslaught, by Michael A. Stackpole. Well, Jay, as we said at the top of the show, you've read this story before, but it's been a few years. Do you still enjoy it? Do you remember much about it? Have you any of your opinions about the story changed? Uh, honestly, I've uh, I'm still loving it. I was so excited to get back into this series. Um, I've been wanting to for years. It's been long enough that I don't actually remember a lot of the details. Like over the nineteen books, I kind of remember bits and pieces. But there's a lot that that I've definitely forgot. So in a way, it almost feels like I'm reading it again for the first time. Yeah, like I said on the previous episode when I was talking to Kat, this is either the third or the fourth time I'm reading through the New Jedi Order. I can't remember exactly which, but it's definitely the first time I'm reading it in at least 15 years. There are things I remember. There are things I forget. One of the things about this book specifically is when you look in the front of the book and they have that dramatis personae where they list the main characters of the book, I saw Shadal Shai. And I'm like, oh, I remember that guy. I kind of remember what happens to him. And as the book's going along, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why was he in the dramatis personae? Where is he? He's not showing up. He's not showing up. He's not showing up. He doesn't show up until the very last chapter of the book. I wonder when we get to the next book, Dark Tide 2 Ruin, I'm wondering if originally they were one book. I, I don't know. I have absolutely no knowledge of this whatsoever. I just found it a little strange that we got Shadal Shai's name in the Dramatis Personae, but then he doesn't show up until the last, what, four pages of the book. Yeah, um, maybe they did. The, maybe it was one book, or maybe the dramatis persona only is to cover both books. One no. other thing that I did notice is the difference in the writing style 
between this book and R.A. Salvatore's Vector Prime. You know you're in a Stackpole book because things move. The way Stackpole writes, he goes from setting to setting to setting. I personally like when things move pretty quickly. Um, but you, you notice the difference in the writing styles between the two authors. Yeah, you do. Uh, I'm actually a big fan of R.A. Salvatore. Uh, I've read a lot of his other works previous to when Vector Prime came out. So when I saw his name on that, I was like, I have to get this. And, uh, and he completely knocked it out of the park. Oh, he he absolutely did. I'm shocked that he only ever got the one book. Maybe that's all he wanted. I don't know. Or or maybe they were mad they that he killed Chewie. I, I don't know. <laughs> But yes, then when you come into this book, Onslaught, you know, it's not that one author is better than the other. It's just the fact that their writing styles are so different. Salvatore, he takes the time to get in the heads of the characters, I think, where Stackpole believes the reader should kind of already understand the character's motivations in any scene. When you get to this book, then Stackpole doesn't have to take the time to explain the character's motivations. You already know what's going on and the character just does what the character is supposed to do. Yeah. I, I, I do think the one character that we do get into the head in a lot in this book is uh, Jason Solo. Uh, I think Stackpole took a lot of time deep diving into what he's thinking and his motivation out of, all the characters in the book. But I also wanted to say too, that this book's called onslaught and that's what it felt like. It felt like it was just an onslaught. Like you were in the thick of things, which then makes the reader a little trepidatious for the next book titled <laughs> ruin. Yeah. Talking about Jason there. One of the themes of the entire new Jedi order series is what roles the Jedi should play in the galaxy. Of course, in Vector Prime, we had the philosophical debate between Jason and Anakin. In this book, we see some of those disagreements in action. We get Jason and Luke on Belkadan, and how Jason still disagrees with Luke's vision of the Jedi Order. Annika and Mara on Dantooine. Corrin and Ganner on Bimiel. What do you think about the ways the different factions of the Jedi Order are acting at this point in the series? Um, I, I actually kind of like the fact that I, I want to say it was Corn, Horn that brought this up, and he's one of my favorite characters. But he talks about how the younger generation has grown up, basically, overall in a time of peace. Right, they haven't had those same struggles, so they're a little bit more arrogant. And we kind of got that back in the prequels when they were talking about Anakin when the Jedi were prosperous. Anakin was so focused on how good he was that it gave him an arrogance that he couldn't be touched. And I feel like a lot of these younger Jedi have that because they haven't been impacted. And even, you know, the solo kids their whole family is in the thick of galactic events, but because they've grown up in almost a privilege. And I think, uh, Danny actually points that out to Jason in this book. 
you guys don't see that struggle. You you guys have been protected, right? You, you know, you've always had nannies and bodyguards and... Well, of course, disregard the 47 times that the solo kids were kidnapped when they were babies, <laughs> as seemed to happen quite a lot in Legends. But other than that, yes. But, I mean, they were babies. They don't remember that. <laughs> sure. So, Jay... What were your favorite parts of this book? Uh, honestly, I, I love Jason's philosophical debates. Um, I, I'm really drawn to philosophy. And even now, like that's one of the diving back into this series was something that I was like, this is going to be so good. Those discussions about the force and the, <clears throat> the, the role of the Jedi. And so I like, I, I personally love those. Um, I, I love seeing the younger Jedi also coming into their own and having their own realizations and realizing that the legends that they've heard about their entire lives, there's a lot more than just the story that's popular. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of strife. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of, you know, hurt there. And, and there's a lot of actually not knowing and just trying something and hoping that it works. I love all the scenes of Jaina when she joins Rogue Squadron. First, the scene where Gavin is talking to Leia and Leia convinces him to ask Jaina to join. I wish they would have written that scene, though. I wish they would have written the scene of Gavin going to tell Jaina, I would like you in Rogue Squadron. Because we get the scene with Gavin and Leia first, and then the very next scene, Jaina's in the cockpit, and she's overjoyed. This is everything I want. At this point in her life, at age 16, she wants to get out of her parents' shadows, and she loves flying. Here's her chance to fly with the most decorated fighter squadron in the New Republic. And they give her a nickname, Sticks. It's a cool nickname, too. There's, what, four of those scenes in the book? And I can read those over and over again. Because you can feel, even in the dogfights that she's in, and there are some dangerous situations, but you can just feel how joyous she is flying. I, I think that's actually one thing this series does so well. Um, is making you feel how the characters are feeling and, and what they're kind of going through and what they're experiencing. Um, I feel like there's a lot of times where books kind of, you know, you're reading a book and yeah, you, but in Vector Prime, when Han lost Chewie, like I could feel the grief on that page. Even when we briefly saw him, like you could tell he was hurting so badly. <laughs> Yeah, and we got a lot more of that to come in the next few books too. Yeah. Han does not Han Han goes through a rough journey here in the first what third of the New Jedi Order. But like I love that but how many books can you say like this is a character that's been around for how many years and you can feel his grief on the page? Is there anything in this book that didn't work for you? Uh the thing that didn't really work for me is the fact that every time we encountered the Yuzad Vong they were just nameless. There was always two or three of them. 
and I've got to the point where sometimes it felt like which chapter am I reading when they're fighting the Vong because they were very similar in many ways. <laughs> I, I could see that. I, I think still at this point, obviously the entire Vong fleet has not entered the galaxy. It's still just these little pockets of the invaders hitting what now? seven, eight different worlds on the Outer Rim. They're still pretty spaced out. I, I, I get that this is a new thing, new villain, but like, you know, on um, Dantooine, when Mara and Anakin are running, they encounter two and then three Yuzavong warriors. You go to Bilmo, it's two warriors. You go to Belkadin, it's three warriors. Like, and that's all it is, is it's, Oh well, there there's this many warriors and they take them out. And it's like okay, especially like when Corn's fighting the one. Yeah, he dispatches one really quickly, but then he fights the other one for a long time. Like, give him a name. <laughs> I don't care that he's gonna get killed, but like, give me some sort of way to discern who it is. I guess at this point in time, other than when the Vong are talking to each other. The inhabitants of our galaxy, the galaxy far, far away, they don't know how to understand Vong's speech. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if the chapter is from Cornhorn's point of view or from Luke's point of view, you know, those warriors would be nameless because they wouldn't know what to call them. That, that's the only thing I can think of from the way yeah. Stackpole was writing it. But but even then, the well, oh, I don't know his name, but you know what? He's got... You know, a missing ear, so we're gonna call him one ear. Oh, like, I see even, what you're saying. I like see what even you're saying. something like that, like give him some sort of identity so that when I go back to a different world where you know, like they did a little bit of that with the the Vong who were disguised and said that they didn't have as much scarring or tattoos. Okay, that's a discerning feature. But that's the only thing that differentiated them from the other what nine Vong warriors that we had seen. Yeah. Right. We all just get told they're tattooed. They're scarred. They're mutilated. Okay, cool. But like how, like is one missing a nose is one missing an eye? You know, does one have a scar going across like his forehead? You know, does one guy have an arrow tattoo? Like just, just give me something to sort of differentiate them. I can see that. Some of the few things that I butt up against in any Star Wars book is when I feel it goes too far sci-fi or too far sort of high fantasy. And this book does have one of those few things. The things that are on the Coral Skippers, the other Yuzhan Vong ships, the tanks that create the little black holes. It's different. It's fine. I don't have a big deal with it, but just that one little thing, yeah, it just doesn't really work for me. Just can create black holes out of out of nothing. See, I, I, I don't mind that in space. Um, I get that, but when it was on, on the ground, I was kind of like, but, like, really? <laughs> I mean, they talk about how insects that are flying by were sucked in, or whatever yeah. it is, but... I'm sitting there thinking, how tiny of an event horizon would there be? 
you know and how do you <laughs> i don't know just like yeah. i said that's one of the very few things in the new jedi order series that just doesn't work for me the little black holes that the dovin basals create well is there anything else you want to say about this book jay before we move on to the last uh, topic uh no i think we've done a pretty good job of covering it all right almost time to go but before we do I've got some new Star Wars character groupings to read out to everybody. The first is from listener Devin Bird, who sent in an OG Starfighter squad named Astro Squadron. Astro 1, the leader of one flight, is Wedge Antilles in his X-Wing. Astro 2 is Wes Jansen. Astro 3, Tycho Selchu. I think Devin really likes the X-Wing books. And Astro 4 is Runt Equish from the Wraith books. Leading Flight 2 is Astro 5, Harrison Dula, and Chopper in Ghost. Astro 6 is Vort Piggy Sebring. He's a great character. Astro 7 is Asair Salar. Astro 8, Kalut the Ewok in an X-Wing. Leading 3 Flight is Astro 9, Tech in the Marauder. Of course, the rest of the Bad Batch is flying right along with him. Astro 10, Din Djarin and Grogu in the N1 Starfighter. Astro 11, Boba Fett in Slave 1. And Astro 12 is Ahsoka Tano in her Delta 7B Jedi Starfighter. That's Astro Squadron. Thank you very much, Devin. Got some great choices in there. Today's second character group is from Eric who sent in a group of ground troops he calls Honor Platoon. Honor 1, the commander is Captain Rex from the Clone Wars. Honor 2, Jedi lead Ahsoka Tano, the Rebels version. Honor 3, Squad 1 leader Zeb from Rebels. Honor 4, former ISB agent Callus from Rebels. Honor 5, Wrecker from the Bad Batch. Honor 6, Crosshair from the Bad Batch. I think he likes his animation. He does. I like this guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe you need to have him on your show. Maybe. Honor 7, Squad 2 leader is Candorous Ordo, the Knights of the New Republic Mandalorian. Honor 8, Tech from the Bad Batch. Honor 9, Finn from the sequel trilogy. And Honor 10 is Din Djarin. Eric also includes his support ships. Honor 11, Captain Harris Sedula in The Ghost. Honor 12, Kanan Jarrus, the co-pilot of The Ghost. Honor 13, Captain Karth Onassi of the Ebonhawk from Knights of the Old Republic. Honor 14, Bastila Shan, co-pilot of the Ebonhawk. And Eric says that Grand Admiral Thrawn would be overseeing everything from his, com- his command ship in orbit. Thank you very much for the list, Eric. Now, listener, if you have a favorite Star Wars character group you'd like to have read out on the show, or if you have a question or comment, you can email the Star Wars Legends Lounge at swlegendslounge at gmail.com, or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Or, if you want to send in an audio message, feel free to email that in too. But please record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. 
Well, it's time to wrap up, Jay. Thank you very much for joining me for this episode. If the listeners would like to hear more from you or would like to contact you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, Twitter is probably the best way to do that. Uh, you can find me for my animated antics podcast at jncat1. Uh, we podcast on Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Uh, or you can follow my personal Twitter, which is at j81hunt. Um, I do a bunch of Star Wars, The Song of Ice and Fire, and you know, talk about random stuff like having pineapple on pizza. Those are probably the best ways to get a hold of me. And listener, if you follow my personal account and Jay's personal account, you can watch us disagree all baseball season over who is the best team, the Baltimore Orioles or those horrible Toronto Blue Jays. It's absolutely the Toronto Blue Jays. (laughs) But we can agree on one thing. We both hate the Yankees. We both hate the Yankees, yes. Coming up on the next episode, I'll be joined by Matt Thacker of the Davos Fingers podcast to talk about the conclusion of this arc, Dark Tide 2, Ruin, by Michael A. Stackpole. Join Matt and I for that on May 12th. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.